Kyrie has requested a trade. I ain't got no friends. That's why I fucked your career, you lanky motherfucker. Kyrie, chemistry killer. You know who the least reliable is, and I bring it to Classic Kyrie Bale. First off, fuck this team and fuck Durant. Brooklyn wants to win, that's irrelevant. irrelevant. You view me as a player, but I'll fuck your team. Did a solid helping bronze super fuck KD. ADL trying to see me for the lies I spread. Walk back, some of my actions soon will be caught dead. It's true. I keep on talking while you're begging me to stop. Steady chaos, keep ruining your team. You know my dream. Yo, Durant, go ask the Celtics how I rip. Fuck your cap sheet up. Who got a birthday? I wanna dip. Sean Marks, don't fuck around with Kyrie. Expect me to show up and play ball. So I'm a piece. I'm a human being, and this is my life. Gonna burn KD tonight. <laughs> I was quiet for over 25 games. Time to burn this team down in flames, you know? So thank the gods when you see Kyrie. You're so lucky to witness me. Give me more money, you all try to resist. Now feel the wrath of a total narcissist. Brooklyn, I fuck him up. Yeah, he reported uh, some calf soreness, so he'll be out tonight. Mommy, I need the biggest deal. I'm told his side was vehemently against any stipulations. Which team? Who cares? It's about me. I'll fuck that team, too. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha, ha. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, what a day in the NBA. What a day in Cavalier country. It is I, Bob Schmidt, lifelong Cavs fan, host of the Fear the Fro podcast, voice of Fox Sports Radio. Now... This cold open was about Kyrie. I do feel like that should play. So we've, we've allowed him to distract from the goals of an organization far too often. Did it in Cleveland, did it in Boston, did it in Brooklyn. Now he's on to Dallas in what is a last-ditch effort to put some superstar talent alongside Luka Doncic. So they rolled the dice. We'll get into that. We'll get into the Cavaliers defeating the Indiana Pacers. A drubbing, a 19-point victory that puts the Cavs with their sights firmly dialed in on the Brooklyn Nets, just a game ahead of them in the Eastern Conference standings, and that is in large part because the Cavaliers have the same number of wins, but two more losses. It looks very attainable. It looks very attainable in part because what we've seen since Levert has been out of this lineup, despite the struggles of Donovan Mitchell, is Evan Mobley ascending. Isaac Okoro ascending, all while the Brooklyn Nets are dragged to the depths of hell by a man we know all too well, Kyrie Irving. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast on this, a day where the Cavaliers trounce the Indiana Pacers and will be on the way. A road trip to Washington, D.C. to take on the Wizards and face the torrent hot streak of Denny Avdia, who, since Rui Hachimura's trade, has really found his groove. In the last six games, averaging 15 points, eight rebounds, doing it on 47-38 splits, and in two of his last three games, he has scored 23 points or more. This man is thriving. Maybe some of it is having the ball in his hands more with Rui Hachimura out of the way, but his ascension began even before that, in the month of January, a month during which we saw the Wizards rip off six wins in a row 
beginning on January 18th, Avdia averaged nearly eight rebounds a game with a 20-rebound game in there, with multiple double-digit rebound games in there, and just in the last six-game sample since the Hachimura trade was completed. He has given 15 and 10, 10 and 10, 15 and 9, 25 and 9, a dud, and then 23 and 6. Great numbers from Avdia, who parallels Okoro in the sense that they were discussed in the same draft as who would take who. Okoro, Obi, Avdia, they were mainly the guys that we heard about. I wish Halliburton was discussed, but that's neither here nor there. There was a big Cavs contingent who wanted Avdia. Now, Avdia slid down to the Wizards. And just this season, finally starting to get consistent starts. Similar to our boy Isaac. But Okoro, also maligned because he did not improve fast enough, despite the fact that progress isn't linear. Okoro reaping the benefits of that himself. Since January 1st, Isaac Okoro is scoring nine points a game on 58-50 splits. That's right. And what did we see tonight from Isaac Okoro against these Indiana Pacers? Well, the man didn't miss a single shot in the first half. In fact, he hit his first seven shots before recording a miss. A miss which, you could make the argument, was a personal foul by Miles Turner that went uncalled. But at the end of the game, we got a 20 spot from Isaac Okoro. Seven for nine from the floor. That's 12 of 14 in the month of February. And keep in mind... He went 5-for-5 last game. He hit the final shot against the Heat, which was a corner three-pointer from the right side. So, he strung together 13 consecutive made baskets in a row before that Miles Turner, whatever you want to call it, on the layup that missed. Stop the count! A 93.7 true shooting percentage so far this month. And perhaps I spoke too soon when I said progress isn't linear, because if you pull up Isaac Okoro's stats month to month, it's basically a straight ascension. Points up every single month. Steals climbing. Assists climbing every single month. Rebounds climbing every single month. And most importantly, efficiency. October, 22% from the floor and a woeful start. November, up to 46%. December, up to 49%. Last month, 53%. And in this two-game sample, tiny as it may be, 86% from the floor, averaging 16 points a game. Let's just keep that going right to the All-Star break, Isaac. I want 20 spots from you nightly. It won't happen, but a boy can dream. And speaking of dreaming, how about Isaac? from the right corner. Now, over the course of his tenure with the Cavs, Okoro has always preferred the right corner to the left corner on those kickout threes. And this season, he's just shy of 40% from outside the arc there. Up three, almost 4% from last season. So while he takes twice as many shots from the right, the percentages are also much more favorable. So he's playing to his strengths. And tonight, we saw so much vintage Isaac. Steal, get out. Race in front of your guy. Beat Halliburton down the court. Beat Nemhard down the court. And then, on that left corner three, which he's clearly a little less comfortable taking, he pump faked and made a pretty difficult bucket with contact. That to go along with an and-one bucket he made in transition. Last game against John Morant, we saw him actually work some baskets inside, but the offensive rebounding, the corner threes, the racing out in transition, and just the general confidence. He got a pass out on the right corner tonight that it wasn't, I wouldn't call it a great pass. It was a little left and low, but he knocked it down 
in rhythm. Isaac has not been playing like this. He's rendered these conversations about when you would hear people say, oh, put him in trade talks, him and Osman for such and such, or Levert and him for such and such. Okoro is out of those. Osman is out of those. Levert, we'll get to that in a minute. But JB, tonight, in the aftermath of the game, in the post-game press conference, Fedor asked him what it was exactly that he said to Isaac when he put him in the starting lineup back in mid to late December there. And I thought his his answer was interesting. Uh, I mean, he, he was the guy that we needed who could take out other teams' best players. Um, and, you know, he had to commit himself every single night to having an impact there. Uh, and then, you know, you, you've got to be a basketball player, right? This isn't football where, you know, you can be a middle linebacker and go to the Hall of Fame only playing one end. Like, you have to play both ends. Um, you know, you work too hard, you know, to not be confident in the results. When you have your moments, take advantage of what the defense gives you. You've always been great attacking closeouts, right? You are a good passer and playmaker. Uh, so just have the confidence to go out and be yourself. I especially like the part at the end where he talked about his ability to attack closeouts and being a good playmaker because I don't think it's something that really got much attention in past seasons, but this season we are seeing the rise of secondary passing. Darius and Ricky are clearly a luxury in that regard, but beyond them, Evan Mobley, better passer this season. Jared Allen has gotten better every season that he's been with the Cavaliers. And now Isaac Okoro is finding out ways to create good looks for other people as well. That's to say nothing of the fact that Ricky Rubio, nine assists tonight, and just knows how to run an offense. And consider this, five times this season, the Cavaliers have recorded 33 assists or more in a game. One was tonight, One was against the Clippers, the season-high 35 assists. One was against the Grizzlies last Thursday. And one was in the victory over the Milwaukee Bucks back on the 21st. Four of your five highest season totals for assists recorded by the team. All to come since January 21st, we are seeing this team start to gel. And the ball movement has been incredible. In the last four games for the Cavs, the bench has recorded double-digit assists, three of those four. Now, comparatively, the bench only did that two times the entire rest of the season. If anything is going to harm Levert's extension talks or his ability to stay on this roster before the February 9th deadline, it may be that Ricky's acclamation has made the bench unit look a whole lot better with the offense running through him. It no longer looks like our bench just has to rely on pick and roll from Donovan or Darius in order to create all the looks. We've got more options now. Now, Mitchell has suffered a bit, partly due to his injuries, but also the ascension of these other players has not been without somewhat of a casualty to his ability to seemingly find a rhythm. I don't want to leap to conclusions. I'm choosing to hope that most of this is due to the groin strain and then the flu before that, because he hasn't looked quite right really since since that road swing where he went to Utah and shortly after that, the Portland game and beyond. It's been a rough stretch for Mitchell, and his numbers have fallen precipitously basically since that Minnesota game. In that seven-game stretch since then, he's averaging just 14 points a game, 35-31 splits. So Donovan, he needs a break. That's a negative, I suppose, but if it's coming with the ascension of Mobley and Okoro and Rubio's return to form from last year pre-injury, It's a little easier to absorb that, not to mention Garland has been phenomenal. When you compare this roster to last year, the Cavs have so much more to go to when they're missing their primary scores. Last year, if Garland was out, we were fucked. 
to have Allen, to have Mobley, to have Isaac, to have Garland, all to be able to pick Mitchell up during this stretch to say nothing of what Ricky and Jetty and Dean have been doing off the bench, it feels different to me. It feels significantly different. And speaking to the JB criticism that we've seen throughout the season, just look at how much different it feels when in three of the last four games the Cavs have won them going away. It's a lot harder to obsess about a call or a challenge here or there when the Cavs are not winning close games. They're pulling away 15-point victory against Memphis. They were up by 40 at one point against the Clippers. They were soundly ahead tonight by 20-plus points most of the game. Those are the games where you say, you know what, let's focus on the big picture, on the macro, on what has JB done. Well, he's identified Isaac and got him into the starting lineup, and that continues to approve. People were upset that Mobley wasn't involved enough in the offense, and since December, we've seen Mobley exceed 20% usage rate, his highest so far this month. These first two games, 24% usage rate for Mobley, following up a 22% January. So his touches are increasing. And then you have Osman, the favorite whipping boy of JB, who... I don't know if this will hold. I think it's too small of a sample to draw any big conclusions from. But in the last six games, Osman has played more than 20 minutes four times. All of them have been victories. Both games in which he's played less than 20 minutes, Miami and Oklahoma City, the Cavs have lost those games. He is making adjustments. Maybe it's because his hand has been forced by Levert and by Mitchell being banged up and by Love being injured and then finally pulling the trigger on removing him from the rotation. But that's what we wanted to see, and he's doing it. So I don't know that you can criticize. You can criticize how long it took him to arrive there. But like he pointed out in his pushback against the criticism last week, this is a journey. We just need to arrive at the point where we're playing our best basketball by the time that the postseason comes. And given the news about Kyrie Irving today, I think you have to feel good about the Cavs' chances to push towards home court advantage in the first round and setting themselves up as best as possible to at least get a victory in the first round and maybe make it to a second round series. And then who knows what happens. Now that brings us to the elephant in the room, which is Karis Levert and Kevin Love. If I, it's an incredibly small sample, take the last two games in which everybody has felt great about Cavalier basketball. Neither Levert nor Love have been playing. And small sample Schmidt has to ask the question, would the Cavaliers ever entertain the idea of moving one or both? Now, Love, my gut says they won't do it to him. They moved Ricky, but Ricky was done for the season officially. Love is just removed from the rotation. I think it's a hard thing to do, but there is a part of me that's saying, 28 to $30 million dollars of contract could bring back a couple pieces, although this tight rotation seems to be working. I think Levert, when I had the conversation with Danny Morang on the Jack Ramsey's kind of crossover pod I did there, I was hesitant, specifically about Josh Hart, because you'd be trading a guy who's an expiring, but who you know what you're getting for him, for a guy who has to be integrated and also is an expiring, only has a half a season to find his rhythm with this group of guys. Levert hasn't been bad in January, but if there's one thing that's been illustrated in its absence, it's that the ball movement definitely changes. Karras can get into the lane. He can effectively move around in ISO. He can get looks. They may not be high-efficiency looks, and he's been serviceable from three-point land. But it does make me wonder, now that Ricky is settling in and he is running the offense with this second unit, would we be better off with a Josh Hart? 
Would we be better off with a Malik Beasley? Hardaway Jr., I think, is out of the discussion after what transpired with Kyrie today. They're not going to be dumping pieces for guys who need the ball in their hands like Levert. They just added an extremely high-usage Kyrie Irving. With Hart, you get a guy who's capable in the pick-and-roll, who's good in transition, who's a solid defender. I think he's a little bit more willing of a ball mover. Would I now consider a Levert for Hart move, knowing that they're both expiring deals and would cost money to retain? And I think I might. I think I might. I know. I'm being reactionary. It's just a tiny, tiny sample. Similar to what it's like when I go to the doctor and they say, fill up this cup with pee. Fill it up. What do you think I am? An elephant? You'll take the four to five drops I can squeeze out, and hopefully I don't miss the cup with any of them. And that's what we'll work with. Because tiny samples, that is how I operate. There was a stat I saw in the pregame. I believe one of the guys on Twitter, Cavs fan Pat, he posted it from NBA University. And it showed the net rating by quarter of every team in the NBA. And the Cavs, interestingly enough, have had great second and fourth quarters. Nearly a plus seven differential in both those quarters. That played out tonight as the Cavaliers outscored the Pacers by 14 in quarter two and by five in the fourth quarter. Now, the worst one for them has been quarter number three, the only time they have a negative point differential. And the Pacers dropped 38 on the Cavs. Fortunately, though, despite the Pacers pushing the pace, no pun intended, Cleveland hung in and scored 36 of their own in the third quarter to stay comfortably in the lead. Now, I can't believe we're 17 minutes into this podcast, and I haven't even touched on the bigs, who combined for 35 points and 23 rebounds on exceptional efficiency, not to mention four blocks. Jared Allen tonight caught lobs from multiple people. Garland, of course, he's always good for a couple, but Rubio found him. You had Osman find him, and he cleaned up multiple fast breaks. Misses from Garland and Mitchell, which he cleaned up and capped it off with a one-handed dunk in transition where he let a fast break. You got to see the whole bag from Allen tonight. And Mobley, just doing what Mobley does. Got to that hook shot in the middle of the lane, had a beautiful pump fake that resulted in an and-one foul as Turner came down on him, and he still managed to flush the dunk. The scariest Mobley play was definitely, he had Neesmith on him, he wanted the ball, got it on the baseline, spun towards the baseline, and Heal brought a double, and I thought they were going to catch him napping. One of those times where they bring a double and Mobley isn't prepared. But he found Osman in the opposite corner for a three-pointer. Things were just working for everybody in the starting lineup tonight, with the exception of Mitchell. The efficiency from the rest of the group, though, 69% for the other four starters combined. My goodness. So next up tonight... The Wizards, the Cavs, the second night of a back-to-back. The Cavs, surprisingly enough, have a 5-3 and record on no rest tonight this season. And one of those victories, the first one of the season, came against this same Washington Wizards squad back in late October. Now that's enough Cavs talk because I wanted to get to Kyrie Irving being traded to the Dallas Mavericks today to join Luka Doncic in a deal that brought Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a 2029 first-round pick, and a couple of second-round picks to Brooklyn. They're also sending Markeith Morris along with Kyrie Irving. So thus ends the tenure and a very disappointing stretch of Brooklyn Nets basketball, which has now put Sean Marks in an awkward position, the man largely credited 
as being at the helm of the Nets and digging them out of that terrible trade they made with Boston to acquire Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Now, in just the span of a few short seasons, they saw what looked like a new big three, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and then James Harden, forced their way to the Brooklyn Nets. One of them left Steph Curry to do it and a title team in the Golden State Warriors. One of them somehow fucked Danny Ainge, a man who is lauded as an incredible trade person. And yet, trading for Kyrie Irving resulted in him walking out the door in a sign-and-trade that got Kemba Walker with the Celtics, which was disastrous by all accounts. And then finally, there was Harden, who got fat and dogged his way out of Houston. But Kyrie has to be the worst, because he's the one who was coming home to play in front of his hometown crowd, and they rolled out the press tour at the beginning. That loyalty bought you, well, jack shit, because now we forced your hand to trade him before the deadline, or you were going to get nothing. And I sympathize on one hand, but it's also hilarious to see all of the Nets fans who went out of their way to defend his actions time and time again. What is it with these major market teams, first Boston and then Brooklyn, who felt like because of where they live in the city that their team resides in, that somehow Kyrie was somehow going to be a different person than the one that he was at the end of his Cavs tenure. An asshole is an asshole is an asshole. It's not geographically tied. Well, the media are spinning his words, and no, they should give him the money. Who cares if he takes a week off for a birthday? Who cares if he refused to play for half the games last year? Every last cent should be guaranteed, and this is Sean Mark's fault. Well, I hope you still feel so glowingly about Kyrie Irving when you realize that his gunboat diplomacy resulted in Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie filling his void. It's all come home to roost now. And hopefully, finally, you'll see what the rest of the NBA knows, which is that Kyrie is entitled. Kyrie does not believe that contracts hold obligations in both directions. It's simply, the money must be guaranteed. My reliability will never be. And Kyrie believes that he's always the victim. And the fact that these players still love him so much, it's unbelievable to me. I understand players will generally side with players against management, but how many of them have been caught up in the wake of Kyrie's bullshit? Hasn't it happened enough times where they step back and say, maybe the fact that he's always in the middle of all these problems would lead me to believe that perhaps he is in fact the problem. He has managed to fuck up relationships with some of the best in the game. LeBron James, Jason Tatum, now Kevin Durant. And I'm not talking about personal relationships. Those guys will continue to fluff his ego till the end of time because there's nothing to gain for those guys by tearing Kyrie down. He is clearly a man who holds grudges. I'm just talking about how Kyrie has blown the opportunity to play alongside those guys during the primes of their career, Kevin Durant, the late prime, but the other two during the middle of their dominance. That is a blessed career for most people. Luka would beg for that kind of opportunity, but instead what he gets is a chance to hopefully get you paid, and then you can become equally unreliable alongside him after perhaps a half season of pretending that you give a shit about anyone but yourself. Is there a human being alive who believes that if Kyrie can even keep some semblance of sanity until he signs a new contract this summer, that it won't implode sometime in the next three to four years? I don't. I don't know anyone who would take that bet. So as the millions of fans cast votes for Kyrie Irving, 
only to watch him fuck over the team that they in all likelihood support. This is where we've arrived. You know how difficult it is to be a nearly 50, 40, 90, 30 point per game score and still be a net negative? That is Hall of Fame shit. If you want something that sets Kyrie apart from other people throughout history, it's not just his handle. It's that despite being as great as he is, he can still somehow negatively impact the teams that choose to keep him on the roster. It's only a select group of people that could sleep at night knowing that they convinced Kevin Durant to leave Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors for the swan song of his career only to bail on him and maybe even play a hand in driving away James Harden with his pure selfishness last season. Do we think that Kyrie didn't play a hand in Harden saying, I'm over this shit, I'm over this optional missing games to make some sort of statement about vaxes. Just fucking get on the basketball court already. And Harden got ahead of it. He forced his way out to Philadelphia. And then he lost weight, took a pay cut. What the fuck does that say about Kyrie? There is LeBron James, the leading scorer of all time, the GOAT type player. And then there's Kyrie Irving, the greatest asshole of all time. The GOAT, if I can steal a acronym thing that Rob Parker does. How would you say that? The Gaoat. And LeBron James is about to break a record that most people thought was unattainable during our lifetime. The greatest score in NBA history. And you have to ask yourself, what's more impressive? That or winning a title while managing to keep Kyrie Irving from completely destroying the franchise first? So here we are. It's off to Dallas for Mr. Irving. The end to a tumultuous period in which Kyrie Irving, despite being paid in excess of 30 to $35 million every season he's been there, has been completely unreliable. The issue all along has been not that the Nets aren't willing to pay him. They realize he's an exceptional basketball talent. And last month, his numbers reflect that. Kyrie Irving averaged nearly 30 points a game last month with the Brooklyn Nets on 48% from the floor, over 40% from three. Say what I will about him being a terrible human being, very selfish, not a team player. He's an exceptional basketball player. The issue, though, is that he's so unreliable in terms of being able to stay on the court and not even due to injuries, just his behavior and conduct, that the Nets want some sort of safety rails before they pay him $200 million over the course of the next four years. How do I feel about this trade? Well, it's quite simple. I fully expect that if they re-sign Kyrie, at some point during a Dallas contract, he will do something wild. But maybe, maybe he makes it through the next four to five months on his best behavior, so to speak. But the situation that Luka was in with the Mavericks very much reminds me of the situation we were in as Cavalier fans during LeBron's first tenure with the team, where we took on a bunch of big deals in a short span, Daniel Marshall, Damon Jones, Larry Hughes, which at the time, that was a big outpouring of money. And that initial free agent spend didn't work. So we were chasing the rest of that first seven years here, trying to get in better pieces. And they made moves along the way, which worked out. We got fucked by Boozer leaving. Well, that resulted in Drew Gooden and Verajao ending up as Cavaliers. And then they got Mo Williams for essentially nothing. They were able to pivot and change pieces. And Sasha Pavlovich became Shaq from 
uh, you know, Phoenix. And he wasn't great. He was at the end of his run. But then Ilgoskis got traded in a very Rubio-esque-like trade where we sent him to Washington and then got him back shortly thereafter along with Jamison. So it wasn't that the Cavs didn't try to do things, but none of them were substantial enough to make them a title team. And eventually, LeBron reached the end of his rope and he dipped. Dallas was on that trajectory. They may still be on that trajectory because there is a very real possibility that Kyrie, and only Kyrie knows what he intends to do this summer because he's completely unpredictable, and he could play out this half season in Dallas and leave. And Dallas would find themselves out. Dorian Finney-Smith, the final year of Spencer Dinwiddie, and most importantly, a 2029 first-round draft choice. They will have used some of the few things they have in their asset chest to try to put a truly elite basketball player next to Doncic. And if he walks away, they're even further behind the wheel. But these might be the type of gambles you have to take in order to appease a guy like Luka. Their big conversation for this summer was, how much do we pay Christian Wood? So this is a significant step forward from there. We look at the trade where Shea Gilgis-Alexander went to Oklahoma City to bring in Paul George. And now, with the benefit of hindsight, We would rather have Shea than Paul George. But with the understanding that Kawhi wanted that deal done in order to come to the Clippers, I think you have to view these types of moves through a similar prism. If Luka felt like the risk was worth taking, and I think there's no world in which he wasn't consulted, then you make that move. Porzingis was never the talent that Kyrie is. And Spencer Dinwiddie in the dump of Porzingis, that was not an overwhelming move. And losing Brunson to the Knicks because... He didn't want to stay there or you didn't want to pay him, whatever the reason may be. Obviously, a massive setback. Wood, another player who, while offensively talented, has deficiencies on the defensive end, and you don't know if he contributes meaningfully towards wins. We know what Kyrie Irving can do in the playoffs when healthy, when engaged, and we know that he can succeed alongside another high-usage player because he did it with LeBron. So I think there's a chance that this could explode spectacularly. The fact that we are so far removed to the last time he was remotely reliable with the Cavs is concerning, but I endorse the move. I'm all for it because I don't have a dog in this race. If it goes bad, I just sit back and laugh as Kyrie burns a fourth fan base and somehow seemingly leads the league in votes amongst Eastern Conference guards. It's I'm incredulous in that regard, that this man seemingly is still so popular. He was the most popular player amongst the fans, and his peers, despite burning some huge fan bases. New York City, Boston, Cleveland, just the best fan base, maybe not the biggest one, and now potentially could be set up to do it to Dallas. It makes me feel like people actually hate the NBA, so they'll vote for Kyrie Irving because he is a one-man wrecking ball who represents all the worst things, entitlement, selfishness, not giving a shit about the fans, in a sport that they disdain. I don't know, though. Let's make this happen. I want to see him go there. I want to see him tease them with his immense talents, only for him to eventually let them down in the way that he always does. So contract be damned. This man wants guarantees. He doesn't want stipulations upon him about having to actually play the games to get the paychecks. And if Mark Cuban is willing to roll the dice there, well then, it's not my money. Fuck it. Let's ride this bitch until the brakes fall off and we mow down a pile of women and children. I enjoy chaos more than anything, perhaps. So I'm all for this move. 
I think it's a good way for the Nets to recoup something because they were leveraged, unfortunately, due to Kyrie making this public and going to Shams or his people going to Shams or his mother-in-law slash agent going to Shams. So this is what resulted from it. Do I love that return for the Nets? No. But would I love a Westbrook return and a pick in 2029 for the Nets? No, I'd like it even less. Finney Smith can be flipped at a later point. If Durant forces his way out, Finney Smith is still movable. Spencer Dinwiddie will have some value. Plus, he doesn't even have a full guarantee going into next year. So I like a lot of the role guys they have around Durant. And my feeling this whole time has been Kyrie is an immense, immense talent. But Durant is just on a different level when it comes to be able to lead teams to victory single-handedly. So as much as everyone wants to write off the Nets, and I would love to because I want the Cavs to pass them, I also don't think this slams the door shut on the Nets being able to put up some really difficult competition for somebody in the playoffs. Their role players are solid role players. Do I think that they'll win a title? No. But I don't think they're just going to go from being a pretty good team in the East to terrible. So that's today's episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you to everybody who has enjoyed the little musical cold opens and liked those and shared those and everybody who's been leaving reviews. It is massively appreciated. I love seeing, you know, going on to Apple or Spotify and seeing the reviews and the, the ratings and all the stuff pouring in that makes me feel like, okay, this is making traction. It's growing. And I see it reflected in the numbers. So to see so many Cavalier fans be a part of, of this Fear the Fro podcast and the ones who have emailed me at bob at fropod.com. I love it. I love the back and forth and the ideas. And you bring some truly interesting stats to my attention, too. I love that community, and I'm appreciative of it. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. Let's get a win against the Wizards, and I'll be back with more episodes. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.